sins away. Oh, say much I'm glad. From the international headquarters of the Sword of the Lord Publishers and Ministries here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, this is Dr. Shelton Smith, and this is Making a Difference. We certainly welcome you today and trust that we'll have a good time as we look together at some very, very important truths on the subject of law and grace. A lot of folks struggle about putting all of this together and making it work. Sometimes folks look at the Old Testament and they think that's one thing and the New Testament is quite another and ne'er do the two ever meet together. Well, in fact, everything that we have in the Bible is there for a reason. It is all God's Word. He lays some things out very straightforwardly and enables us to understand these great truths and principles. We do have law and we do have grace. In fact, the Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 17, and this is our key verse around which we're building here, it says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at that, and we're studying some things about this whole business of how we relate to the law and how we relate to grace. Yesterday, I looked at the matter of the law as presented in Exodus chapter 20 and repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5 those Ten Commandments that are the bases of law that God lays down for societies and for individuals. Those are the moral principles under which we are to be guided and undergirded. So we have every reason to look closely at what the Lord has given in that regard. And we know that he gave the law for a purpose, and we're going to look in more detail in the New Testament as we go here today and tomorrow and maybe another day or two. So the law is in the Old Testament. Yes, it is. But remember, the law was not destroyed when Jesus came. It still serves a purpose. And here's what the Bible says. We kind of finished up here yesterday in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus said, Think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Then he says in verse 20 of that chapter, I say unto you that except your righteousness, which would be, of course, the keeping of the law, shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Why would he mention those guys? Well, they were the showcase people. They were the people who were living by the law. And Jesus said, you're going to have to do better than that. Otherwise, you will in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes into chapter 5 in great detail and explains how that he enlarges the scope of the law. Notice in chapter 5 of Matthew, in verse 21, he said, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. And then Jesus said, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And he goes on to say, talking about somebody saying, Thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. What's he saying? He has really enlarged the scope of that particular commandment about killing. You get to verse number 27 in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But Jesus said, I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So you see what he's doing here? He's not only saying that the law, those great moral principles are still valid, but he is enlarging them. He is enhancing the scope of them so that he is really going to do everything possible to make the case 
for a strong moral character for every single Christian. He goes on to really give us six illustrations, one about killing, one about adultery, one about divorce, one about swearing, one about the eye for an eye situation and going the second mile, and then one about loving your neighbors and your enemies. And so Jesus, by rehashing, in effect, by restating, by repositioning to a degree, he just enlarges the scope of every single one of these moral principles and makes them even stronger than they ever were before. So you say, maybe to me, well, how is this going to play out? Really, how should this affect what I do on a day-to-day basis? Well, let me give you one single verse, again, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, Therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is that do unto others as you would like for others to do unto you. It is a very strong Bible principle. And again, it's not based on whim. It's not based on my opinion. It's not based upon our preferences. It's based upon God's moral laws. It's based on the truth that God gave way back in Exodus chapter 20. And he simply wants us to know that we can build our life, build our moral character based upon those great principles as he laid them out. Now, it's really, really important for us every step that we take, every day that we live, to be guided by strongly given Bible principles. Now, I want to turn over to the book of Romans and take some further steps in this regard because, uh, you know, whenever we think about where the law fits in, we think about what it is that the law is about, a lot of people try to live and do and do and do, and they think if they'll just keep working and doing that everything will be great and they'll please God and they'll somehow manage to do all the right things. Dear friend, let's not forget that all of us are sinners. We are sinners. We've all violated God's law at some time or another. And as a result of that, we have a great need. We have a need for a Savior. We have a need for one who will be Lord of our life. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior, and He is the Lord. And you and I need to respond to Him in faith and follow Him faithfully. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, The Bible, talking about the Lord Jesus, says that he's declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace. And that goes on to tell us very strongly, very pointedly, that the Lord Jesus is, in fact, the one to whom we should be looking. If you and I simply try to keep the law, we're going to fail to be what we ought to be. We're going to fail to achieve what we expect to achieve. We're not going to be able to succeed in that. And I'll look at some verses about that as we go along here that'll tell us the real purpose for the law. Now, if we look at Romans chapter 4 and uh, look at uh, verses 2 and 3 in that chapter, we get just a little further picture on this in regard to the Old Testament. Because again, I repeat, some people look at the Old Testament and they think, oh, the law, that's what everybody got saved by keeping the law. That's how they got saved. No. Chapter 4 of Romans, verse 3 says, for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now unto him that worketh is the reward reckoned not of grace, but of debt. So what's he telling us here? Abraham didn't get saved. He didn't go to heaven because he kept the law. No, he believed God, and that was credited to him 
as righteousness. He was given status with God, view of the fact that he put his trust in God and in anticipation of the coming Savior. And this verse goes on to say, if you work and work and work, verse 4 says, it's not by grace that you're going to do this, but you're trying to solve your own debt, and that is not going to work. In fact, verse 5 says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So, dear friends, should we be working? Should we be following the moral law? Of course we should. We should do that not in order to be saved, but because we are saved, because we are aware that we have a Heavenly Father. We are aware that the Lord Jesus has admitted us into the family of God, and because we are God's children, we ought to behave like God's children, and God has laid out those moral principles for us so that we can do that, and we understand, of course, that we are saved by putting our faith and our trust. That's the reason that we're justified. The Bible says the ungodly are justified by faith. That is, they are admitted to the family of God. They're put it right with God simply by their faith. Now, if you drop down to verse 13 in chapter 4 of Romans, there the Bible says the promise, talking about Abraham, that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham unto his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So here again, the principle is stated. The law had a purpose. It literally had a purpose. God gave it for a reason. But it was not the law that enabled Abraham to be the heir of God, but rather it was the righteousness accorded to him by the Lord when he was justified by his faith. Verse 14 says, For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. In other words, he is saying, if you could work your way to heaven by the keeping of the law, there would be no reason for a Messiah. There would be no reason for a Savior. There would be no reason for you to have faith at all. But instead, you could just do and do and do. And by your doing, then you would get to heaven. But this passage, all of this just makes very, very clear that the heir to the promises of God, the heir receiving salvation, does not in any sense come by the doing of the law, but instead it's faith. And if we try to do it by the law, then we make faith of none effect. Verses 15 and 16 goes further to say, because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So what we see here, what we understand is, that statement in the beginning of verse 16 says, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. So does the law serve a purpose in terms of providing a guide for us and really mandating the principles of uh, morality for us? Yes, it does. And we're going to learn more about that as we go here Verse 20 in this chapter says that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. So, dear friends, you and I understand the great truth in this passage that 
The law, yes, it serves a purpose. It is there for a reason, and Jesus told us it had not been done away. He's just fulfilling it. He is just enlarging it. He's just making it to be a very strong part of this. But nobody goes to heaven based on keeping the law. We keep the laws of God. We keep the mandates of God. We follow the directions of God, not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. We do that to please our Heavenly Father and to follow the Savior in a good way. Romans chapter 11 and verse number 6 is also a very strong statement in regard to this, helping us to see the position of grace and law and where they fit into the picture. Verse 6 of chapter 11 of Romans says, And if by grace then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So, dear friends, when it comes to salvation, it is either grace or the law. Which is it? Well, it is by the grace of God. It has always been that way. And Abraham, way back in Old Testament times, accessed the grace of God by putting his faith in God. And you and I have the same opportunity and the same privilege today. Abraham was looking for a Messiah. You and I are looking to the Messiah, to the Christ that has already come. Now, are we going to build our life strongly based on these great moral principles of the law? Sure we are. We're going to try to follow what God says we ought to do and behave ourselves accordingly, but understanding that by grace we are saved, and thus we begin to get a picture of the place of the law and the place of grace. But I've got a good bunch more to give you on the broadcast tomorrow and perhaps even Thursday as we continue to work through these passages about law and grace in the Bible. I trust this has been a help to you, and we want to make this so very, very clear. So God bless you, and thank you for being along today. I hope you'll get in touch. Let me know that you're listening to the broadcast and the station where you hear me. In fact, write to me, Dr. Shelton Smith, at P.O. Box 1099, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, 37133. The email address is radio at sword of the Lord. And do check out our website at swordofthelord.com. And until tomorrow, God bless you, dear friend. Have a great rest of the day and goodbye for now.